What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Audio Judo, a special episode. It is the Christmas episode of Audio Judo. I am Kyle. And I'm Matthew, and we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network. If you're looking for music-related podcasts, then Pantheon is the place for you. Check out all their offerings at PantheonPodcasts.com. We recently just wrapped the first season of our jazz podcast called Audio Judo Does Jazz. If you haven't had a chance to check that out, make sure you head to AudioJudo.com forward slash AJDJ, or anywhere that podcasts are podcast, and download the entire series. Uh, we will be back in the new year with another exciting season of that. Uh, also in the new year, um, at a as-of-yet undefined time, we'll be launching our third podcast called Musical DNA, where we explore the songs slash albums slash musicals slash operas Whatever impacted you throughout your life. It's mysterious. You don't right? know when it's coming. It'll just show up. It's suddenly. just going to show up. Told in your words. So we're looking for submissions now. These could be five minutes or an hour of your words expressing how that music affected you. If you would like to submit a story for inclusion, send those to info at audiojudo.com. Today, we head back to the holidays, as you mentioned. This is our third foray into mm-hmm. the season. And whenever you are listening to this, we here at Audio Judo hope that you have a wonderful holiday season. Indeed. Regardless of the holiday you celebrate, if you celebrate them at all. Maybe you don't, and just appreciate all the lights. I'm with you. And if that's the case, (laughs) get out there, enjoy the lights. But because it's the holiday episode, we have to welcome in our resident expert. and my holiday expert. Right? My lovely wife to the program. This is her forte, and we are just casual observers. So welcome to the show, Heather. Welcome back to the show, Heather. Oh, yeah. Hello, hello. Uh, are you ready for vacation? I'm very ready for vacation. Uh, we're recording this currently in late November, right before Thanksgiving, and she and I are leaving for a Caribbean vacation on Monday. Ugh, unfair. So I think we're ready. <laughs> I'm, yes. Pretty sure we're ready. 
So you guys picked a hell of a, a topic this year, too. Right? Yeah. So we, this year, we are talking about the Rankin and Bass Christmas specials. Yeah. Just in general. The whole slew of them. And there are a lot of them. It's a, the team responsible for the Claymation slash mm-hmm. Animagic specials of my youth. Exactly. That were released uh, from the mid-60s through the early 80s. You know. Before Kyle was even born. Of course. Uh, well, technically not. Uh, 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 they were active from, like you said, 1960 to 1987. True. And in 87, they folded into Lorimar Telepictures. Lorimar. Lorimar Telepictures. That's hard to say. Christmas tequila, everybody. That's what happens. Uh, <laughs> and that partnership actually continued until 2001 uh, when the company finally disbanded and uh, the partnership with Lorimar Telepictures dissolved. Uh, Rankin Bass Animated Entertainment was founded in 1960 in New York as Videocraft International mm-hmm. by Arthur Rankin Jr. and Jules Bass, or Bass. I guess I it could be Bass. Rankin Bass. I think it's Bass. I think it's Bass. I've always pronounced it Bass. I'm sure it's Bass. Bass. Which probably means it's wrong. Right, if, I've we, always, <laughs> if I've always pronounced it Bass, that means it's probably it's Bass. bass. So. Most of the animation work was actually done in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a stable of songwriters, but the main ones were Maury Laws and Romeo Muller. Mm-hmm. Uh, their first few programs were retellings of the Pinocchio story, David and Goliath, Wizard of Oz. Uh, it was during this period, though, that they worked on perfecting uh, with Japanese production director Tatahito Mochinaga. Yes. Their stop-motion animation technique, uh, which they dubbed... Animagic. Animagic, which is actually sort of based on some earlier works. Um, there's a guy named George Pal who did a, a thing called Puppetoons in Europe and uh, the United States uh, in the 30s and 40s. I don't know why he would have had to flee Europe in the 30s and uh, come to oh, the United States. Odd. I don't know. That seems weird. I think but, something uh, may have been going on around that maybe. time. Uh, but, I can't be sure. Uh, yeah. He invented a, a technique called puppetoons that used more puppety style characters, but they did have some armatures in them so you could pose them. It's probably Krampus. He was probably fleeing Krampus. He was probably it? fleeing the Christmas Krampus, of course. Rankin Bass actually used a technique called replacement animation for a lot of their stuff where they uh, the heads would be completely replaced from shot to shot to change the figures and stuff. And that was what George Powell actually pioneered. And in his case, they were actually carved wooden heads and arms and, and figures that he had to carve each one for each frame. Oh, my gosh. So they would carve. Very tedious. If you wanted a smile, you had to carve a figure with a smile, and then it would be on for a few frames. And you wanted him to frown. And then he would just and you like, had to carve all the interim, like, smile to frown. Would and he then just, you had like, to, throw that out? I'm sure they like, saved them so smile. they could use them over and over and over it. again. But um, another pioneer um, that everybody I'm sure knows is uh, Art Clokey. If you don't know him, you do know his work. Uh, Gumby and oh. uh, Davy and Goliath. Yeah. Uh, everybody's, even if you have never seen those, you're familiar with them from a pop culture standpoint. One of the other important things about early Rankin and Bass is, uh, like you said earlier, they outsourced a lot of their work to Japan. And yes. they were one of the first companies to do that. Uh, a lot of other companies would follow, most, most notably uh, King World and Hanna-Barbera. All of their animated stuff from the 60s and 70s and 80s was outsourced. However, in doing so, they started that trend. Um, and that trend actually allowed uh, a whole bunch of different Japanese companies to explode onto the scene. So uh, uh, Rankin-Bass outsourced their uh, Japanese animation and the Animagic stuff to companies like Toei Animation, Icon, a company called Mom Productions, uh, Mushi Productions, and a company called Topcraft. Mm. If you know anything about animation, those are some of the biggest names in animation. I don't. And I know you're you're both huge, uh, obviously. <laughs> oh, big, yeah. big um, anime fan. Toei, still going today. They have done shows like, uh, even if you've never seen them, you've heard of them, Dragon Ball, Sailor Moon, Digimon, Yu-Gi-Oh!, One Piece, 
Uh, and currently they are working on something called Butt Detective, Kale, uh, which I had to put in there because... Uh, did I just call you Kale? You did, yeah. <laughs> you totally did. Christmas tequila, everybody. <laughs> Christmas tequila. Uh, Kyle, uh, yes. we raised three sons. You, you are so familiar with all Dragon of these, Ball, huh? not so much Sailor Moon, but... Uh, all the rest of these, Digimon, sure. all those, yeah. So that's who animated all of them. Aiken is also still around. They're mostly working on Japanese animation. Uh, most of their work has stayed in Japan mm. uh, that isn't like uh, uh, farmed out work, mm-hmm, basically. Mm-hmm. Mom Productions was actually founded uh, by uh, Tadahito Mochinaga, who you just mentioned, in 1960, just specifically like to handle all the Animagic stuff. It was later renamed Tokyo Productions after Mochinaga left the company uh, to move to China create to create more puppet animations. That's just a uh, good name to say. Right? Tadahito and, Mochinaga. Yeah, and actually, it's uh, shortened in all of his credits on all the Rankin Bass stuff to Tad Mochinaga. So, Jeez. Uh, Mushi Productions, uh, another animation studio founded by Osamu Tezuka uh, after he broke away from Toei, which we just talked about, um, his former employer. Again, they've done works like Astro Boy, Kimba the White Lion. Which, I know Astro Boy. Right? Kimba the White Lion, which is probably the movie that Disney ripped off to make The Lion King. Dororo. Whoa. Which is, uh, and they also made the first X-rated Japanese anime called Cleopatra. Are, so, you, are uh, you suggesting that Disney Disney's material is not original? heavily influenced I see. but if you watch a shot by shot side by side comparison it's a little bit more than heavily is there a, like a hoist and a lion up scene? there is in fact that exact scene um finally the last one was topcraft uh, they're another animation studio founded by former toei animation producer producer toru hara they're most famous for the film nausicaa of the valley of the wind which is a beautiful animated movie from the early 80s. Uh, basically, uh, that company folded after releasing that movie in 1985, and they sort of split. So it was really good? Uh, right? Yeah, it was really good, obviously. <laughs> well, they put all of everything into it, and then they were like, nah, now we're bankrupt. Yeah, and so, we made eight bucks off this. <laughs> yeah. So half the people that worked there went to a company called Pacific Animation that continued to work with Rankin and Bass on shows like Thundercats and Silverhawks. Oh, you stole my Thundercats. Ah, sorry. And they were originally bought out and became the Walt Disney Company Animation Studios Japan. Oh, uh, Disney owns everything. After that happened, several of the other animators went back to join the other half of Top Craft, who had split off, including animators like Toshio Suzuki, Iseo Takahata, and some guy that I'm sure nobody's ever heard of called uh, Hayao Miyazaki, who went on uh, after the split happened to form some animation studio that's called uh, Studio Ghibli. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that. I don't know. I have you know, heard of that. Maybe the most Ghibli's. famous animation studio in the world. I don't know if anybody's ever Is heard it of really? it or not. But I would say so. Maybe besides Disney. Oh. I would say they're probably the second most famous. Kyle's speaking to his people right now. I am. You know. <laughs> welcome, welcome, internet nerds. But there you go. I thought that was all uh, a little important to go over because they really did. Rankin and Bass, their early jobs helped create a lot of of the funding that made early Japanese animation happen. Oh, fair enough. And I'm not going to say that you can argue that Japanese animation wouldn't have happened without them, but I think it was a lot smoother of a process by having that money pouring in from the West. I think you should argue it. I mean, I could, but I'm not going to. So after that beginning, Mm -hmm. in 1964, Rankin and Bass, they worked on developing a special with a teleplay by Romeo Muller, about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Mm -hmm. He developed the story with characters taken directly from the lyrics to the song. Uh, He said he would have loved to base the entire thing on the poem uh, that the song was originally based on, but he couldn't find a copy of it at that time. So incidentally, Johnny Marks, the fellow who wrote the song about Rudolph, was Robert May's 
brother-in-law, the guy who wrote the poem. So he wrote the song, recorded it with Gene Autry in 1949. So for me, this special became a Christmas moment that could not be missed. Yeah. Back then, back in the days before VHS and DVD and streaming and a thousand cable channels, you waited for the day that it would be on because it would only be on once a year. And the years you missed it for one reason or another were years you kind of felt uh, unfulfilled that Christmas season. You're like, I miss Rudolph. I miss Rudolph. Now you could, you know, it's on a thousand times a day. But this special put Rankin Bass on the map. The success of Rudolph led to other Christmas specials. The lesser-known Cricket on the Hearth, Mm -hmm. Mouse on the Mayflower. Soon came an almost endless string of holiday successes with The Little Drummer Boy, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, The Year Without a Santa Claus, Frosty the Snowman, and the list goes on and on. So one of my favorite things that they ever did was an animated version of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. Oh, yeah. Uh, which I actually have on VHS. We do. <laughs> we do have um, no way to play it, but we have it. Right. I can look at I can look at the cover all I want and really, really enjoy it. <laughs> um, they also produced tons of uh, non-holiday output, including a series about uh, King Kong and also 1985's Thundercats, mm-hmm. as you mentioned. Um, and then they closed up and blah, blah, blah. But we're not here to talk about, you know, that. We're here to talk about the music of their movies. And we've each chosen three favorites to discuss while we talk about some of the elements that continue to make these specials so special. So, Kyle, why don't you kick us off? I get to start this one off with probably what I think might be one of the most obscure Christmas specials that they made. That's what you do. Well, I would say maybe the second most obscure because what, the other one that I'm going to talk about is We appreciate that obscure. about you. Yeah. It's just what I do. Um, so, Cricket <laughs> on the Hearth. I think I may have seen this special one time. I think yes. I did too. I remember seeing it a couple of times when I was a kid. Um, like I said, it's one of the more obscure Rankin-Bass Christmas specials, uh, but I do remember it from my childhood, mostly because it's so different from all the others. The animation is not great. <laughs> and it's not Animagic. It's not Animagic. It's standard it an animated yeah. series. And I think that's probably why it didn't get played very often, but... That being said, it is based on a Charles Dickens novella. Yeah, I had uh, no idea it was Dickens. I didn't either until I started doing this research. And when you think Dickens and Christmas, obviously you think A Christmas Carol. But this was actually, this at was the time, more popular than The Christmas Carol. Much more popular than yeah. The Christmas Carol, which is crazy. Uh, uh, the story behind it, without going into too much detail, is that an anthropomorphized cricket named Cricket Crockett uh, helps a poor toy maker named Caleb Plummer. <coughs> Jiminy, bo- cr- Jiminy Cricket. <coughs> Not Jiminy Cricket. Uh, <coughs> Ripple, ripple. Uh, <laughs> okay, potentially, potentially, uh, very similar. But he helps a poor toy maker named Caleb Plummer and his blind daughter Bertha Plummer escape from under the thumb of the evil miser Tackleton, who wants to marry Bertha. However, Bertha is betrothed to a man named Edward Benton, who thought to be he's. Everybody thinks he was lost at sea, but it turns out that he's alive and in hiding because he was dis- because of his disappearance and apparent death was the thing that caused Bertha to go blind. His disappearance caused her death? Yes. So he oh, left- Caused her blindness? He left to go to see- This This storyline here is, because it's so shortened for this short animated version, Yes, it's all over the place. He leaves to go to sea. She thinks he's dead because his ship is lost. She goes blind in response to that. And then her father, because he has to take care of her, as well as try to make a living for the family, ends up taking a job for this guy named Tackleton, who ends up uh, being this horrible miser and- tries to keep the family under his thumb and wants to marry Bertha. And then her betrothed comes back. Turns out he didn't die. He ended up surviving the boat crash and ended up on a desert deserted Island. And then two years later, 
gets rescued and comes back, but he realizes he's the one who caused her to go blind, and he's so racked with guilt well, that he ends up uh, basically hiding and watching her, and then he realizes they're going to get married, and then the cricket convinces him to come back because the cricket is- I was you know, about to ask, when does the cricket- The cricket comes complicated. Back, right? The cricket comes back, and uh, uh, the cricket convinces him to come out of hiding- to tell her that he's still alive so she can marry him, and then miraculously she can see again, and everything's fine. So you're saying this is a hero's journey? Yes. It's a- In a weird, bizarre way. Again, this is one of those things where if you go look at the original um, Charles Dickens version, it, it might make more sense. <laughs> In mm. the same way that an original version of a Shakespeare play might make more sense yeah. than an animated version of it. Um, it's very um, all over the place. All right. That's way more complicated than an all in the eye. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Like Louis Braille, you know? Right? He just... <laughs> uh, <laughs> like you mentioned earlier, uh, Maury Laws did all the music for this, and the lyrics were written by Jules Bass. The first part of the song is sung by Danny Thomas, who did the voice for The Poor Toy Maker. And the second part is sung by the Norman Luboff Choir. Ah. Uh, and here's a little clip of that. One Christmas morning you may look into your stocking And find that something shocking has occurred Among the candy canes and toys You'll hear a funny little noise You've got yourself a cricket on the heart Cricket on the heart Take that horseshoe off your door So this song seems to be all about luck. Yeah. As most so, of the lyrics surround removing other lucky items from your life, because yeah. as long as you have a freaking cricket on the hearth, you're all good. You don't need a it's, rabbit's foot or anything. In the original, it's considered lucky. The so cricket on the hearth? to find out that you have a cricket on the hearth, it's a sign of good luck. I feel it just means my exterminator failed. Right. Yeah. Why is there a cricket on the hearth? So this actually originally premiered as the 12th episode of the Danny Thomas show. Yeah. On December 18th, 1967. I had never heard of Danny Thomas before. Danny Thomas founded the St. Jude Children's Charity and yeah, Pediatric Hospital. Right? I had no idea. Uh, and his daughter does the commercials now. Yeah, yeah. Marlo. I had no idea. Who's I had... also in this special. Right? Uh, <laughs> Mind what a... blown. <sighs> Uh, apparently though, originally he was a TV producer and an actor known for his work on shows like the Andy Griffith show, the real McCoys, the Joey Bishop show, the Dick Van Dyke show, Rango, and a handful of others. Yeah. He's a, he was a popular dude. Apparently. And then obviously founding St. Jude's. Yeah. Helped quite a few, uh, kids. Still doing it. Which is pretty damn important. I was able to watch this whole thing on YouTube the other day. It's yes. not bad. No, it is not a horrible special. Like I said, the animation is a little rough. Yeah, it's not necessarily one that I would go back year after year. Yeah. But I can see the nostalgic uh, appeal. And it fits right? It fits you, Kyle. It's I, a very obscure choice. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and I know you like doing that, so that's cool. That's just what I do. But it exposes people to things that they may have otherwise missed. Yeah. Well, uh, if anyone is interested, though, it is available on DVD and Blu-ray store. Indeed. Uh the other half of the singing is done by the Norman Luboff Choir, Ooh. who apparently, I again, never heard of them before, but uh, they are one of the premier U.S. choral groups from the early 50s to the 70s. Well, you uh, And you haven't heard of them? I had, I had never heard of them. I'm so into choral what, music, what obviously. A shock. 
You, I know you uh, like organ music. Yeah, but uh, in tying, <laughs> hey, I do actually he enjoy like organ music. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, they actually came into prominence though working uh, with Bing Crosby's Christmas broadcasts from 1955 to 1962. So well known in the uh, mm. uh, Christmas music era, mm-hmm. uh, and the choir can be heard on Hel- Harry Belafonte's 1956 album Calypso. Which, oh boy! Coincidentally, is the first album to sell one million copies and spent thirty-one weeks at the number one position on the chart. Because it has uh what song does it have on it? Deo, probably. That's it. I think I didn't actually look at it, oh, so I, I don't know. Probably. But uh, kind of crazy, kind of crazy that it's that popular. What else you got? Or, or are you uh, ready to move that's, on that's to? That's just about it. And like like we've said over and over again, it is more obscure. It's probably not for everybody, but I did enjoy it a lot as a kid. Not a lot. I enjoyed it as a kid. I saw it a couple of times for sure. And uh-huh. it, it was the one when- Stuck in your head, apparently. Well, I had no idea it was Rankin Bass until we started researching this. And I was like, oh, right. They did all the animated stuff too. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. So they did. They did many things. Yeah. Including Kyle's second choice. Right. And Kyle's not doing go, all three in a, in a row. You get to go twice just, in a row just here. Just fitting our running order. Uh, so the second one, and surprise, another obscure choice. Uh, this one is actually Rankin and Bass's last work. It's called The Heart and Soul of Christmas. Uh, the song is called The Heart and right. Soul of Christmas from 2001's uh, Christmas special, Santa Baby. It was their first special in 16 years. It was. A big gap in there. And um, I can honestly say that I have never seen this film i, I saw this so. yeah I, yeah I, I i i've only seen it once before re-watching it for this and it was when it originally aired and it was on fox in 2001 and i remember it was a big deal leading up to it and it was uh coca-cola actually sponsored this they sponsored the creation of it and then on the the uh broadcast of it all the commercials were uh santo baby brought to you by coca-cola enjoy a coke for christmas Sounds like Coke. Right? Because of that. Jamming it down your throat. At the time, I was I was actually, as a kid, I collected a whole bunch of like Coke stuff. Oh. Coke bottles and, right. and Coke memorabilia and all that kind of crap. Uh, and so I was like, oh, I should definitely watch this. And I remember watching it and thinking like, eh, this is not for me. But it is a very unique Christmas special. Yeah, it was done. It was traditional animation as well. Mm-hmm. Pretty awesome voice cast, I must oh, say. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I should say it was written by uh, Glenn Rovin and Gary Haas. Uh, and Glenn, Glenn Rovin is a two-time Emmy-winning composer, lyricist, conductor, and producer. He has arranged and conducted uh, for on-and-off Broadway plays for many, many, many years. One of his last works, before he sadly passed away, uh, was the Hillary Speeches from 2016. Oh. In which he set two of Hillary Clinton's speeches to music during the 2016 pres- presidential elections. Mm. They're very interesting. Not something that I would traditionally think like, oh, set this to music. But he did a very good job with it. Uh, and Gary Haas is a musician, composer, and producer, and a recording artist. Uh, he's worked on film, television, and theater productions. Uh, he also played bass, uh, and he's recorded with, recorded with musicians like Celine Dion and Sync, Michael Bolton, Shaka Khan, Hall & Oates, Patti LaBelle, Eartha Kitt, and he collaborated with Gary Haas on a couple of different jazz albums. Uh, Eartha Kitt. Right. There's, there, there's the Santa there's Baby. There's the tie-in, well, right? Well, Eartha Kitt is yeah. a voice she in was, this special. And by the she, way, she was on the naughty list. She was on the naughty list? That when, oh, when we did our naughty list in uh, the she first holiday special, yeah. Terrible. 
That's right. You didn't care for Santa Baby, did nope. you? No, did not. I still do not. Eartha Kitt did, in fact, record uh, the original Santa Baby. Mm-hmm. And then she came back to do a voice in this. Eartha Kitt plays uh, Emerald, the cat. Ah. Uh, Gregory Hines as a character named Noel. Uh, Tom Joyner as a character named Mr. Sweet. Patty LaBelle as uh, Melody the Songbird. Kiana Underwood as Dakota. And Vanessa Williams as Alicia. It's a pretty good cast. It's a pretty good cast. And one of the things that sets this cast apart from all the other Rankin and Bass specials, very diverse. Very diverse. Very diverse. The whole show is set in a very urban setting, and they did that on purpose uh, uh, because they had been criticized so much in the past about having casts that were very bland and very... White bread. So uh, uh, I think that it's a a very wide swing for them. Sure. Um, and it, it it turned out okay. It's not a bad special. I'm a little disappointed that you didn't pick the lead song from the soundtrack, Santa Baby, the techno version. Oh, I thought about that. I feel like that would have been a better better fit so for there, our program. There but. is in fact a um uh, uh the uh, the soundtrack of this can be found online and downloaded. And there's not only a techno version, there's a Santa Baby Club remix. Oh. That is... Well, that sounds... It is just... Fancy. It is fantastic. Oh, one other thing I need to note before we go a little bit deeper into this. Uh, yeah. Co-written by Suzanne Collins. Uh, yeah. Who went on to write The Hunger Games. The Hunger Games. Right? So uh, in this, uh, everybody is stabbing each other to try to get to Santa. Yes. And then... No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> in the cornucopia. Yeah. Yes, of course. Quick rundown of this, because I'm sure most people have not seen this. Noel Rice, uh, played by Gregory Hines, is having trouble finding inspiration to write his uh, hit song, because he's a songwriter. Uh, he takes some of his frustration out on his daughter, Dakota, played by Kiana Underwood. Dakota is granted a Christmas wish by the Christmas partridge named Melody, played by Patti LaBelle. Uh, her wish is that her father could write a hit song. Uh, Noel becomes a sidewalk Santa with the hope of finding inspiration and breaking his writer's block. And with the help of his wife, Alicia, played by Vanessa Williams, and a cat named Emerald, played by Eartha Kitt, he discovers the very soul of Christmas. And by the story's end, an entire community is transformed, and a struggling animal shelter gets a second chance, which feels like it was absolutely jammed into well, the storyline. It is absolutely jammed in there for no reason except... Uh, what else uh, can we save? Yeah, it's it's very unusual. Animal shelter, that's it. It's very unusual that they tracked the anim- that they just jammed the animal shelter thing in there. But uh, this is uh, a quick little clip of uh, the song. You can have Santa and a carolin choir. You can have a reindeer and a yule log fire. Twelve drummers drumming, five golden rings. But the true joy of Christmas must come from within. Keep it real. Find the soul of Christmas. You got to feel all the joy that I found. I know that we will never be down. Cause the heart and soul of Christmas is a here all year round. So it's very rhythm and blues. It, it fits with all the songs created for this. We're very rhythm and bluesy. Um. And like I said earlier, there is a soundtrack to it. So if you just want to hear that, you can go download the soundtrack. I couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, I did find it on YouTube. Ah. I don't know how legitimate that is, but you can uh, you can go listen to it there. And you can also, uh, <laughs> if you search for this special, you can find it in a couple of places online, although not on YouTube. Yeah, it was it was a little harder to find than than I would have it expected. Is. It is a little obscure, um, but you can find it on YouTube. All right. So there you go. That's the heart and soul of Christmas. 
The number three is uh, one of Heather's, uh, one foot in front of the other. Oh, take it away. So this song was written by Jules Bass and Maury Laws. Uh, It's basically a story around Kris Kringle, who is the main character, as we all know, as Santa Claus, guiding the winter warlock, a.k.a. now just winter, as to how to change his ways from bad to good. And this song was included actually on four album releases, the third of which was Rudolph Frosty and Friends' favorite Christmas songs. So fittingly, it is also one of my favorites. (laughs) In everything we do, this is all it takes. No matter how big or small the task, the first step is to just stand. And so I do not only love this song for the messaging, but also for the visual antics of winter Mm. and his herky-jerky movements. They always made me laugh, always brought me (laughs) joy. Topper, the penguin sliding through the door, Kris Kringle (laughs) leading the way. All of the, you can do this if you just take one step at a time, Uh, you know, baby steps, you know, all of that kind of built into this song and so it it gave me hope technically it has nothing to do with christmas whatsoever not at all all. (laughs) nothing and it could be sung any time of the year and it should be it's such a great message especially for kids you know the message is he knows if you've been bad or good whatever but some some kids know that they're you know they're they want to change they're, yeah. they're not being good and they want to change, but don't know how. So they're telling you, hey, it just starts with the first first step. And Winter Warlock, you know, terrified me at four or five years old, which is why they actually cut some of those scenes out for a while. Yeah, he's but a they, scary character. But they put it back in. But I loved it. Heather and I love making fun of his voice because his high-pitched voice cracks <clears throat> in parts when he gets excited. Uh, so uh, Winter Warlock was actually voiced by Keenan Wynn. Character actor appeared in over 200 films over a 40-year career. You know, just huge. I've already watched this special three times this year, and it's not even Thanksgiving. Oh, boy. Chris Kringle and a.k.a. Santa Claus was voiced by Mickey Rooney, much younger version than uh, uh, the next film <laughs> we're going to talk about. But it's it's such a great song. Do you have a, you have a clip of it, don't you? I do. Yeah. Let's hear it. Put one foot in front of the other. And soon you'll be walking across the floor. Put one foot in front of the other. And soon you'll be walking out the door. You never will get where you're going if you never get up on your feet. Come on, there's a good tailwind blowing. A fast walking man is hard to beat. Did you guys catch the little uh little musical change there when he starts to walk? Which uh So it switches it to slow? a slow? No, it switches to a seven four time. Oh. And apparently Listen to I, him, Mr. I, music. Right? I, I I had just learned about this. Uh it is a thing called an Aksak. A K S A K. It is a Turkish musical thing. Do you know what the hell he's talking about? It's frequently called a limping effect. Oh, but uh, it makes the it makes it sound the music kind of doesn't fit a normalized beat, so it kind of didn't 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 interesting didn't um, think Dave Brubeck's uh, Blue Rondo a la Turk. Okay, and that uses it as well, and it's that sort of interesting. That's didn't 
like a stutter. Yeah, exactly. And it fits perfectly with his sort of learning to walk the little bit of, you know, I'm learning to walk. I can't quite make even steps. And then he starts to actually walk. I thought that was really cool that they put that in there. I do like that. What else you got there? You got more notes, don't you? Well, I, I, I do, but, yeah. um, really this, this song, like I said, it, it kind of gives you hope that there's a chance that you can make a change and, and not in the, the clip that we included, but, you know, I talk about not being the rule, being the exception, mm-hmm. like going above and beyond. And, and that always really spoke to me as a child mm-hmm. and, and made me think about things in a different way. And, you know, I think Christmas is kind of that, that rebirth, that time of, of joy and happiness. And, and that is what I always took away from. I was always, I, it always made me stand up and, and mimic what was happening on the screen, <laughs> so cute. you know? Yeah. And, and, and so Matthew and I've talked about this because as when we get to another section here, we'll talk about a live action version. There actually was a live action version. Um, oh. No, not this one. No, of oh. not of this one. Yep. No. Um, but it, if we were to cast a live action version of this one, um, yeah, the other one, I actually have the, all of the characters, but this one absolutely would be Jim Carrey. You see, Jim, oh, like, I could see that. Like, a hundred percent doing the winter warlock the facial expressions, yeah. the, the the herky jerky movements, even the, sort of the angular nature of his right? face. Yeah, kind of fits with Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Huh. That's a good casting call. I think that would be cool. So you wanna take a break before we move on? Yeah, sure. Sure. All right. Let's take a break. The winter is nearly upon us, everyone. And it's about this time of the year that I start shifting from normal, chilled wine to something a little warmer. How do you feel about tea, Kyle? Uh, I'm not a big tea drinker, but I have had it before. No? I, I like a lot of different teas, but if you think you know tea, then you haven't tried Tiesta tea. Oh. It's premium loose leaf tea. It comes in five different varieties like Energizer and Slenderizer and Relaxer. Whole bunch of flavors like Maui mango, lavender, chamomile, and fruity paradise. Ooh. Uh, my favorite is nutty almond cream, Ooh. which is a perfect cup to just chill me out before I go to sleep. That sounds very much like a nice wintry blend. It's nice. Heather and I have uh, tried some, and she has a favorite or two. We have. We have. I actually really like that one as well. It It's reminiscent of a snickerdoodle cookie. Ooh. So the scent, like... When you're just kind of holding the cup and just like putting it up to your nose, breathing, and the breathing steam that in. aroma in, it's it's like a, a snickerdoodle just like blasting you in the face. Yeah, Ooh. it's awesome. So they are also our new partners. Oh, and if you order with the code Judo15, you can get fifteen percent off your order. Just go to tstt.com, put in the code at checkout. That's Judo15 because once you go loose, you never go bagged. Don't Smother Nature is a one-stop shop for sustainable home goods. They do the research to compile all the best and most affordable options and group them into a convenient online location. With smooth navigation, helpful support, and easy returns and tracking, they make transitioning you and your home to be more Earth-friendly a simple and accessible process. They just had their grand opening, so browse their extensive catalog now at don'tsmothernature.com. That's don'tsmothernature.com. 
So, Kyle, my world is beginning today. Wow, that's pretty impressive. This song is from Santa Claus is Coming to Town, um, that we just talked about, obviously. My second favorite Christmas special. And I chose it because it is so indicative of the time it was produced. It's like it was plucked right out of Woodstock and deposited (laughs) here in this special. The visuals for it, also completely psychedelic. Yes. Uh, It's performed by Jessica who was a stuck-up teacher from Sombertown, who tried to enforce the rules set forth by Burgermeister Meisterburger. Burgermeister Meisterburger? She didn't want the kids to have fun, or toys, or anything that make life worth living. But then Chris Kringle softens her up with a china doll, something that she used to have in her youth. And these lines could be taken directly from a pop hit from that era. I know something's going to happen, but it's out of my hands. Things are starting, or start snapping without any plan. And when I hear it, I feel like it has a really cool Mamas and Papas vibe to it. Hmm. Here, listen to it right now. All the little kids picked along the way Suddenly have disappeared with yesterday Tossed about the fields She lets her hair down in the yeah. middle of the... Then it's like all this weird kaleidoscope animation Spinning going flowers. on. It's like, whoa, acidy trip. <laughs> the character of Jessica, who would eventually become Mrs. Claus, is performed by Robbie Lester. She was one of the busiest voice artists of the 1960s. Yeah. She performed uh, Eva Gabor's singing voice from the Aristocats and the Rescuers movies. Uh, she also released an autobiography that has one of the greatest names of all time. What? It is called Lingerie for Hookers in the Snow, an audio, an audiography of a voice artist. <laughs> That's, That's amazing. Great. That is amazing. It's it, Talking about Santa Claus is coming to town again gives us the chance to address a song that none of us have in our list. Oh. But requires some attention. Okay. The song is called If You Sit on My Lap. Oh, dear. Or Be Prepared to Pay. (laughs) It is sung by Santa, and it has bothered me for years. The lines, if you sit on my lap today, a kiss a toy is the price you pay. Don't be stingy. Mm. Be prepared to pay. Mm. This version of Santa is a little twisted. I'll tell you what, I'd sit on that Santa's lap. He's (laughs) he's extorting toys for kisses and sits on his lap. This does not sit well in the Me Too era. Like, yeah, think about this. Like, and his eyes get all like bugly and swirly when the kids the kids give him a kiss. It's a li- it's like, like he's in a trance or right? something. It's it's a little messed up. Are you suggesting that we should cancel Santa Claus, Matthew? <laughs> I wouldn't be against it because there's some people on Fox News <laughs> that uh, you might want to talk to. <laughs> is it Tucker Carlson? It is. So I have to say, though, this song like pops into my head over Which one? and over. It, be this, prepared to pay? Be prepared to pay, yes, yeah. because we often say we, we recently this year got a puppy and mm-hmm. it's a girl. And I say, oh, what a good girl. 
and and it happens. Oh, no. it's, oh, what a what good, good girl! What a good boy! <laughs> <laughs> and so it every time uh-huh. I say, "Oh, what a good girl," and it, I don't know why it comes out of my mouth that way, but this song pops into my head every time. Oh boy, we got to cancel Heather now, I know, right? Because right? she's mm. cancel culture. Good girling your Sad puppy. Face. It's so it's so twisted. Oh boy, like you have to be good. Well, right. why? I'll tell you why. He does. He, he gets, gets really, angry. yeah, he gets he hostile. Does. He gets so mad. I'll tell you why. Jeez. Oh. Now sit on my lap and give me a kiss. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. I don't like Santa anymore. Well, then no toys for you. Oh, no. Uh, uh, we can go, we'll go right to the next one, I guess, because yeah. the next one's me. Yeah. My, my uh, next choice is It's Gonna Snow Right Here in Dixie. From the year without mm-hmm. a Santa Claus, I chose hey, hey. this. I chose this song for no other reason than it is the most fun song in all of these specials. Musically, it is so much fun. Okay, and you know the South doesn't get enough representation in these old timey Christmas Agreed. specials and movies. They like to focus on New York and such. That is elitist true. coasters. That is very it's because true. there's no snow. <laughs> This song is sung by uh, the mayor of Southtown mm-hmm. when Jingle and Jangle go to him to convince him to release Vixen from the dog pound. He does some of uh, the best dance moves as well as he is coming <laughs> out of the barber shop that Heather knows well. That's very true. Heather knows the dance to, moves? Or okay, so, yeah. so our oldest son, when he was younger, we, we watched these movies. I don't even know if this is where it came from, but... But he did this like shaking arm like movement, and then he would bonk, bonk down on his butt. Yeah, he would. And just we be would standing say there. Christian bonk, and he would do it. And so that it's it's yeah. just he'd a be memory. standing up and I, I just, just, yeah. yeah, Christian bonk, and he'd just immediately kick his feet out and land on his ass, just like so straight down. I just want to clarify: this is professional graphics artist Christian Chapansky, who works at what company? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put that in the show notes right. and make sure. No, I'm just kidding. That's right. He he, he loved, uh, loved That's dancing cute. around. That's cute. Shaking his fist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's, a, here's a piece of the song right here. It's gonna snow, ho, ho, right here in Dixie. <laughs> All will be white overnight. It will be cold. On Christmas Day, hey, hey, right here in Dixie, we'll do see do in the snow, so I've been told. We'll build a snowman, our very first. He's got a snowman and bundle up for win. <laughs> I love it just because it's so much fun and it's like totally out of left field for this special. Did you guys catch the uh, Charlie Chaplin figure I, in the background? I did. Yeah. When we just watched it the other day, I saw that and I was like, I don't know that I've ever noticed that I before. I remember he seeing kind of flips that. his little cane around. Yeah. And There's a Charlie I, Chaplin? There yeah. is. I will point it out to you. I remember seeing that when I was a kid and I thought I was crazy. And then when I was looking through notes for this, somebody was like, there's a Charlie Chaplin, a figurine that was specifically designed to be Charlie Chaplin in the background. And I was like, oh, I'm not crazy. It's true. For this one reason. Everything else... Absolutely wow. insane. But this one reason I'm normal. Got to write this down. Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> okay. Uh, next one is uh, Heather's. All right. So also, you're without a Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of these movies just ooze with nostalgia. But but you're without a Santa Claus has always been my personal favorite. And um, for many reasons, but a, a lot of it is just the idea that it's 
it's not all about the presence, you know? And, yeah. and so I've always loved that about this movie, but my favorite song or portion of this movie was all around snow miser and heat miser. And, and I, I'd say technically they're two different songs, but this is a twofer. Um, it's a twofer. So in my mind, they cannot, you know, one cannot stand alone yeah. from the other. You have to have both because they play off of each other. Um, so basically heat miser and snow miser are the children of mother nature. Um, and they control the weather and they're both, ornery curmudgeons who just love to fight with each other uh, and and they're fighting over the territories that they can make warm or cold and uh snow miser in in the movie was performed by dick sean or the the voicing of of it in Mm -hmm. in the song was dick sean and uh heat miser was performed by george s irving um and these songs were actually reprised two times with adaptations in the live action film version and in the 2008 animated sequel specifically though the snow miser song this was kind of interesting was also used in the 1997 movie batman and robin mm-hmm. and it was used in such a super cheesy way <laughs> we refer to that as a debacle we don't yeah, right, refer to right. that as a movie right oh, i agree i agree so um arnold schwarzenegger played mr freeze mr freeze and um, it's nice to meet you and he forces his lackeys to basically watch the actual movie, the 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 Santa Cla- or a Year Without a Santa Claus movie, um, <laughs> to learn the song and the choreography so that they can perform this upon his entrance into a room. It's actually funny, but who the hell would want to sit through the rest of that piece of crap just to get to that scene? Right, it's totally a very true. cool scene. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be cold about it. (laughs) So I was personally always partial to the Heat Misers song because I actually agree with his sentiment. I love the heat. I love it when it's warm. I could live without snow for the rest of my life. Although it's beautiful, I could live without it. You do live in Las Vegas. It's very true. It's part of the reason why we live in Las Vegas. Um, but I always really felt uncomfortable with his appearance. He 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 kind of scared me as a heat kid. Heat miser? Yeah, heat miser. Like like he scared me where where snow miser like just made me laugh. Yep. He always just made me laugh. And they're little minions who look exactly like them. Um with no miser, eyes. Right. Yeah. Right. So it was always kind of yeah, because their hats went over their eyes. So we've um, long talked about being them for Halloween. It's true. <laughs> it's going to happen one of these. Years. It would be great. We're, we're shooting for next year. Whoever came gotta... up with these characters wins. I will say a lot of these characters, if you take them a little bit out of context, they are very creepy characters <laughs> in all of the Rankin Bath stuff. If That's you just true. pull them out of context, it's like, oh, God. It's right. a little scary. They it's more of a, very, right? Yeah, it's a little more Tim Burton-y than you would expect. And really I think true. I think the the you you relate to Snow Miser being more of a comedian. More has to do with who voiced it because they oh, yeah. bring a lot to it. So Dick Sean, mm-hmm. Dick Sean was uh, a comedian and was in the original producers movie in 1967. LSD, right? Lorenzo Saint Dubois. And according to Andy Kaufman's agent, he was also the inspiration for the real life character that Kaufman regularly inhabited. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was a comedian. Sean passed away at only 63. He collapsed on stage 
during a play, but because he routinely acted over the top, everyone there thought he was, was part, part of his act. act. It actually took about nine minutes for them to get a stage uh, stage hand out to check on him. Right. Because he just laid he just there. just laid there. And everybody was like, oh, this is so funny. This is so avant-garde and hilarious. And he just kept laying there basically dead on stage. Oh and then finally a stage hand came out and was like, no, we're going to go yeah. ahead and uh, the audience can go ahead and leave. Yeah. And everybody still kind of thought like, oh, this oh, it's is still part of the, part of the, this is the end. <laughs> and then, no, he actually passed away on stage. Oh, my God. So That's sad. crazy. But... And the Heat Miser was uh, performed by George S. Irving, who was a stage actor mostly. And he was in the original production of Oklahoma mm-hmm. in 1943. <laughs> and he lived to be 94, just passed away in 2016. So it's like two Completely different polar opposite guys, but that's a very Abbott and Costello yeah. or Laurel and Hardy. You got the big fat round guy and the the skinny guy. That that's that's your classic comedian setup. Yeah, right there. Um, and you mentioned that the live action movie was uh, uh the Snow Miser starred uh, Michael McKeon, who was Lenny from Laverne and Shirley, and, and it's an absolutely awful, terrible adaptation of the movie it's so bad <laughs> and and this is one where i would absolutely love to remake oh, so a she live has version. a cast oh, so i have an entire oh, cast I'm so excited She's gonna, okay. okay let's go all right so i'm gonna run through it really quick so mrs claus would absolutely be betty white oh fantastic right i love it already okay but and and she is my my favorite I love her. If it took us a little bit too long to do it, I guess a backup would be Kristen Chenoweth. Okay. Okay. So- uh, Just throw a wig on her. Yeah, right. So the doctor, Eugene Levy, with those crazy eyebrows. (gasps) Oh, that would be so good. Okay. Jingle, Jonah Hall. Okay. Jangle. Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Okay. Oh, Hill. I'm sorry. That's okay. Jonah Hill. I knew who you meant. Jingle. Jingle, Jonah Hill. Jangle, Owen Wilson- Oh, that would be a good pair. Right? Wow. Snow wow. Miser. <laughs> Snow Miser would be Jeff Goldblum. Heat Miser. So good. Heat Miser, Danny DeVito. <gasps> oh, this gets better and better. Santa, David Letterman. <sighs> what? <laughs> Look like with that crazy white beard and, you know. She has, she cast top, the shit out of this. Top 10 presents to receive on Christmas morning. Ooh. Number 10. Galuli, galuli, galuli. Butrus, butrus, golly. Mother Nature, Catherine O'Hara. Oh, good cast. Yeah. Ignatius, Ian Armitage. Oh, okay. From Young yeah. Sheldon. Yeah. The Traffic Cop. Zach Efron, although Matthew disagrees, he actually had hmm. a different thought. Yeah, I don't remember what I said, though. Ra- he said Ray Romano. Oh, Ray Romano. I think, hey. you know, both of them would I'm work. a traffic well, cop. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a sandwich. So the mayor, so back to Christmas and Dixie. Oh, yeah. Um, Jack Black. Hmm. <laughs> the cat, that would be fun. The cat lady, Susan Sarandon. This gets better all the, the time. The dog catcher, Seth Rogen. And the dad, John uh, Krasinski. Oh, yeah. And the mom. The mom, Emily Blunt. So right. I originally put Kristen Wiig, but then I was like, why well, wouldn't we have, just put Emily with John? If you have the husband John, wife I mean, team together. On, right? <laughs> if you're doing it anyway. Yeah. And I actually had the hardest time with casting the blue Christmas girl because I just like little girls little girl. right now. Yeah. You know, so I mean, just the eyes. And she's a little bit older now, but she's still kind of young. McKenna Grace. Oh, she's from okay. uh, 
Walking Dead, correct? Yes. Okay. No, no, she's not. She's not? That's no, not. No, 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 no. no, no. Uh, who is that? I did say, though, yes. I, I, I did say. Who's um, McKenna Grace? Yeah. I, mm, I don't know. I, have to... I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Like, just like I thought of her and then I had to look it up. And yeah. It's pretty solid casting all the way around. So, Are you all looking it up? Mm-hmm. You're looking it up right now. Like, she's got those eyes. Uh, let's see. She was in Ghostbusters Afterlife. Oh, oh well, which we haven't seen. Oh, yet. so Malignant, she's... The Handmaid's Tale. So she's topical, is it? She's uh, topical. She uh, she was in Young Sheldon as uh, Paige Swanson. Oh, it was like his kind, kind of, of his like girlfriend. competition yes. slash girlfriend. Yeah. Oh, Ian Armitage and. Oh, see, good casting. McKenna Grace. She played Judy Warren in Annabelle Comes Home. That's Can what I recognize her from. Like Jeff Goldblum as Snow Miser. Oh, it doesn't get any better than that. Actually, that would be bonkers. So here's what I'm going to put out there: if we get 10 million. <laughs> <laughs> Patreon subscribers by Christmas. We will make it we 2022. <laughs> we will fund this. Right? I mean, that's fifty this million dollars. I think we can make that happen. How's your hubby? I can just see him doing that. I can see Goldblum doing that. But this, no, like, I'm a big such fan. A, such a Goldblum presents, delivery. Presents uh, uh, find a way <laughs> under the tree. So uh, number seven is also from a year without a Santa Claus, and that is one of Kyle's choices. Indeed, it is. I wait, 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 wait. It. We didn't even play that, did we? No, we didn't. We no, should play hey, it right now. We got to play a clip. Wait, let's play a clip. I'm Mr. Green Christmas. I'm Mr. Sun. I'm Mr. Heat Blister. I'm Mr. Hundred and One. They call me Heat Miser. Whatever I touch starts to melt in my clutch. I'm too much. I'm Mr. White Christmas. I'm Mr. Snow. I'm Mr. Icicle. I'm Mr. Ten Below. Friends call me Snow Miser. Whatever I touch turns to snow in my clutch. <laughs> I'm too much. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I think that song could also fit really well with a cocaine dealer, but <laughs> snow miser. Yeah. But I feel like that also goes a little anti-Christmas. So is it though? Just a little. Yeah. Maybe a little. I mean, cocaine probably would make Christmas go nice and smooth right? for a lot of people, but I, it is a great song though. And I loved your casting. Heather. That was fantastic. It is great casting. So Kyle's next one. I believe in Santa Claus. Oh, this is so high on my list of choices. Uh, it, yeah. Mine too. This <sighs> is this is this is the one that I remember from when I was a kid, mostly because of the annoying little kid being like, I don't believe in Santa Claus. Ignatius I don't Ignatius Thistlewhite. Ignatius Thistlewhite. That's fun to say. Ignatius Thistlewhite. Nice Just, name too. Right. Uh, but like like uh, we said, this is from 1974 is a year without a Santa Claus. That's a great year, by the way. Right. Yeah. Uh, someone was born that year. And oh, someone in this true. room was born that year. Oh, was it Heather? It was. Oh, ding, 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 ding. there we go. <laughs> uh, surprise, surprise. Music by Maury Laws and lyrics by Jules Bass. Who yep. would have ever guessed? I wouldn't right? guess that. None of us. Lance Bass. Lance Bass bass. Uh, this one is sung mostly by Santa Claus, played by Mickey Rooney. Yeah. Uh, and Mr. Thistlewhite, played by Ron Marshall, uh, in response to, like you said, Iggy Thistlewhite saying he's too old to believe in Santa Claus. That's right. And, and Chris Kringle, 
Santa Claus is currently hiding his identity with the very impossible to figure out name of Mr. Claus. Mr. Claus. <laughs> I can't. Uh, that's a trick. I can't figure it out. I don't know who he is. Right? Here, uh, have a little listen to this one. Why, of course I do. I believe in Santa Claus like I believe in love. I believe in Santa Claus and everything he does. There's no question in my mind that he does exist just like love. I know he's there to be missed. He needs a lozenge. It is. Uh, uh, he's got a cold. Remember, he was know, sneezing right before this. <laughs> it was only a, it was only a little while before this. It was it was only a little while before this that he was in makeup that pulled his eyes back in Breakfast at Tiffany's, and it caused his throat to just. <laughs> Ignatius, was that you I heard sneezing? No, that was my friend. Not me, Ma. That was my friend, Mr. Klaus. <laughs> Mr. Klaus. It was this pedophile, Mr. Klaus. Right? Well, why don't you invite him in and we'll uh, we'll talk. Uh, okay. Weird. <laughs> it is a, it's a fun movie. I, I honestly don't think I've seen it in probably 15 years until the oh other day when I watched gosh. it for this. Again, but, I've already watched this a couple times. Of course. Uh, um, but yeah, Ignatius... Iggy is explaining how he doesn't believe in Santa Claus, mm-hmm. that Santa is just for kids. And he questions his father about whether or not he still believes in it. And I, I love this song. Uh, knowing that this was done with Animagic and mm-hmm. conserving money whenever they could, when they flash back to Iggy's dad as a child, it looks remarkably like Iggy. Right. Well, he is his dad. Recycled hmm. puppets. Hmm, interesting. Um, and while another special uh, that we talk about has a very creepy... Santa moment. This one is actually sweet, although it's a little questionable that he's like standing over the bed, kind of in the darkness in the shadow, (laughs) just kind of like eyeballing him. Like, what are you doing here? Hey, what's going on? What are you doing here? (laughs) So you don't believe in Santa Claus, huh? Why not? So creepy. uh, Pretty sure Mickey Rooney was uh, dining out in the seventies, nice and easy, because all these Santa uh, roles, he was like Santa all over the place. Yep. Just constant, constant Santa. Mickey, I think the se- the sixties and seventies were probably Mickey Rooney's like up and down arc. Salad days, yeah. For, uh... <laughs> right. Uh, one weird thing about this: uh, after after the clip that we just played, uh, a choir takes over singing this song, and that choir is called the Wee Winter Singers. The I, Wee Winter Singers. The Wee Winter Singers. I could not, for the life of me, find any information about who or what the Wee Winter Singers were. Do you think it was created just specifically for this special? Potentially, um, but I would think that it would be noted somewhere. But hmm. there was no information about them. So, oh my. Oh oh my. Oh boy. Could have been. Is that all you got? That's all I've got about that. One. Number eight. Back to Heather. Oh, for the most wonderful day of the year. All right, so Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, as we all know, um, as Matthew mentioned, was the first of Rankin and Bass's Christmas movies. Mm -hmm. Christmas movies. Um, So I love this song for a number of different reasons. It could absolutely be completely cut out of this special. You do not have to have the misfit toys as 
any part of this special. However, well, then how? What would happen to King Moonracer? I know. I do love King Moonracer, um, but it, it, it's. I think it elevates the story a little bit because it talks about kind of those underdogs, those that are maybe not as as perfect as everybody else and 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 I kind of always felt this way as a kid um so well there's a it, place in someone's life yes. for everyone yeah yes. and I think that's what they're trying to say that all toys need homes for love but everyone can find a place in someone's life and I think that's the message and I'm like take you out of the Rudolph story sure but I think it's a perfect message especially for the christmas season i agree i agree so this song was sung by the misfit toys as they welcome rudolph Hermie, and yukon cornelius to explain why they are on this island all by themselves and uh, it starts really slow and sad it does almost ethereal and then it quickly like two verses in or two two lines in it quickly transitions to an upbeat story of what they hope to have one day so it's all about that dream about that mm. that that want that desire yeah. and um you know in it they talk about all of the reasons why they feel excluded or different and their only chance to be accepted by the children is if they are saved from the island and delivered by Santa. Right. Because Santa makes everything great. Who, but who wants a squirt gun that shoots jelly? That's absolutely my favorite <laughs> one. Who wants a toy train with square wheels? Or a cowboy that's riding an ostrich. ostrich. Amazing. Yeah. So that's why. Or a toy boat that won't, that won't float. Float. um so this song it just it it just it's that hope of the season it's that it's that like dream of what could be and that's why i always love what does it sound like it sounds a little bit like this a pack full of toys means a sack full of joys for millions of girls and for millions of boys when christmas day is here the most wonderful day of the year a jack-in-the-box waits for children to shout. Wake up! Don't you know it's time to come out? When Christmas Day is here, the most wonderful day of the year. Toys galore, scattered on the floor. There's no room for more, and it's all because of Santa I love this song. I was going to pick this one too. You beat me to it because it's the it's this is the king of the Christmas specials. It's the big daddy of the season. Yeah, it is. Uh, it definitely is. Uh, it's also the one that was probably the most parodied of all of these. It definitely most parodied. Randy just mentioned uh, Elf is a, almost a direct the the this that part. large section of the movie yep. is basically a direct ripoff of this movie. Yep. Uh, and it's it's done very well, and it's done with. It's done in a funny way, but it's also done with a lot of love, mm-hmm. which is something that I like. They didn't like. There are a couple other ripoffs of this movie in in other uh, like South Park, South Park did one, and a couple other yeah. places. Uh, and it's more of a like, can you believe this thing happened? <laughs> Elf, I feel like, is a very loving, almost a tribute to these movies. Definitely, and I it's, agree. It and now it gets aired constantly through the season, yeah. as early as two weeks before Thanksgiving. It's its own industry. 
with toys, books, spin-offs, decorations, clothes, wood carvings that we have. Yeah, like, so I was going to say on wood carvings. Yeah, I was going to say I as we may have mentioned before, um, we always put up a ton of Christmas trees in the house. Um, this year, we'll, we will have 13, normally wow. only 12, oh. but I actually found an extra tree somehow. Um, <laughs> Who knows where that came from? So, you have so many trees, you just can't even keep counting Right, anymore. right. And so we actually have an entire set of the Misfit Toys stuffed animals <laughs> from... Gosh, probably 20 years ago now. Yeah. yeah, 25 years ago, 25 maybe. 25 years ago, yeah. And wow. um, I think they were originally released by CVS. CBS. And um, I bought a whole bunch, and then my grandma bought me a whole bunch, and my grandma no longer is with us. And I, I put this tree up every year, and I have the the large, you know, two-foot-tall Yukon Cornelius with the, the Rudolph. And, <laughs> and we got and a train set We have that's a train from it. set, and, and wow. we have all these Jim Shore Inesco um, carved. Wood carved. Wood carved. Yeah, all the, carved uh, it's ridiculous. Statues. And so it's, it is definitely a big part of our Christmas. Yeah, for sure. So since we're talking about Rudolph now. And we can transition into my first choice of songs, which is also from that special, Silver and Gold, the song sung by Burl Ives. A few minutes ago, I referred to this special as the big daddy of the mm -hmm. season. I did that because of Burl Ives. Burl Ives played Big Daddy in the 1958 version of Tennessee Williams' classic Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. That's Ooh. just a nod oh. to him. He was the big daddy. Originally... There was no Burl Ives and no Sam the Snowman. His entire character was added after General Electric, the producer of the special, asked for a familiar name to be added to the cast. Wow. Uh, in the non-narrator original version, Yukon Cornelius, the prospector, sang this song. And that makes a little more sense, considering that is what he was prospecting, silver and gold. Mm. Um, that is until he found a pepper mine at the end of the show. We'll come back to that. At the end mm -hmm. of the show. That's why he's licking his pickaxe through the whole thing. Well, he's trying to find he's it. He's trying to find peppermint. I thought he was trying. So Nothing. Uh, there's a little trick there. So um, in the original version of it, uh, he was searching for a peppermint mine, and there was a whole scene that explained that. And oh, he they says, cut that? Yeah, they oh. cut it because uh. the ending didn't exist. So Rudolph never went back to the Island of Misfit Toys to save all the toys. Which wouldn't make any sense at all. And people wrote it. People were pissed. I wrote pissed. in and they were like, what happened to all the toys? Why didn't he go back and save the toys? They actually filmed a separate ending between the year, between 64 and 65. They filmed a separate ending for this. And to make it fit with all the commercials and everything, oh. they had to cut the scene of Yukon Cornelius explaining that he's looking for a peppermint mine out. Oh my god! And because Which of that, makes sense because gold and silver don't have a taste. Exactly, and that's why throughout the whole thing, he keeps driving his pickaxe and then licking it. He's looking for peppermint. Nothing. And apparently, uh, a couple of a couple of uh, screenings on AMC put that scene back in. Really? What? So yes, I apparently it is, it is something that has been seen. It's it's something that still exists. Is it it's on been YouTube? Cut back in. I didn't. I didn't look. Okay. So I'm sure it's around somewhere. But I would like to see that. Apparently, you can occasionally view the the full version of this movie. So that's so. that's good information. Thanks, Kyle. You're welcome. So this song took on a whole different meaning for me later in my life when I met Heather. So when I was little, uh, we only had one tree in the house and some other rudimentary decorations scattered throughout the house. And it 
never changed. It was never added to. Yeah. We had the same decorations my entire life. It was just the same boxes. Mom would say, go get the Christmas boxes. I get the two boxes and we'd put the same shit up. But when I met Heather, she brought a completely different spirit and sensibility to the season. And I started to listen to this song a little differently. The line, silver and gold, means so much more when I see silver and gold decorations on every Christmas tree. It sounds like this. Silver and gold, silver and gold. Everyone wishes for silver and gold. How do you measure its worth? Just by the pleasure it gives here on earth. Silver and gold, silver and gold means so much more when I see silver and gold decorations on every Christmas tree. <laughs> That's me. It meant so much more to me. And people ask me every year why I, quote unquote, tolerate the fact that Heather puts up 13 Christmas trees in our house and every square inch of the home is decorated, even the bathrooms. And the answer is simple. It gives her joy and in turn gives me joy. And I see how much passion and love she has. So why would you stop it? Why would you try to stifle it? Yeah. I think it's awesome. And we also love to make fun of it. That's very true. <laughs> I will say, though, it is a little difficult to use the bathroom with that peacock eyeballing you. <laughs> Just going to put that out. There's a gold peacock mounted on a gold Christmas tree, and I caught eyes with it, and it made things awkward. So, Well, just, next year it'll be different. That's so. perfect. That's yeah. Just perfect. look away, Kyle. Just, just look away. Know that it's look, staring at yeah, me just while I go away. To Just don't miss. All right. That's fine. Okay. I, can, I can do that. <laughs> but that that is... It's ranking a bass. That's the episode for this this yeah. holiday season. So, real quick, in any of your research, did either of you find Rankin and Bass? RankinBass.com. No. no. It is a fan site pulled out of 1995. It has not been touched. Oh my gosh. And it is fantastic. Go the, check out like Wayback Machine or yes. something? No, it is it is still live. <laughs> oh, really? RankinBass.com. Uh it is is fantastic. It looks like a website, like I said, from 95 or 96. It's great. The other thing I do need to mention really quick, where people can watch this now. Uh, so in the world of streaming and all that stuff, the legal rights for all the Rankin and Bass works are an absolute mess because so many companies commissioned the original works and then have been purchased and conglomerated and smushed together and everything. And there's all kinds of weird licensing rights. However, I'm not going to say that you should look on YouTube for them, but you can look on YouTube for them. Uh, if you want to get them more legally, Amazon iTunes, a service called Vudu, Google Play, Peacock, uh, and probably a lot of other streaming services have one or two or three of these spread out throughout all of them. Uh, and then obviously every year they do still air these on television. Um, AMC airs most of the Christmas specials during their Best Christmas Ever seasonal event, yep. which usually runs all day, every day for, what, 25 days? Yeah, Start, something like that. <laughs> starting yeah, on December, December 1st, 1st, yeah. Um, and so you'll see them spread out throughout there. Uh, Rudolph and Frosty both air on CBS um, and sometimes on Freeform every mm -hmm. year as well. And there's so, other favorites. I mean, uh, I know oh, Heather yeah. is partial to Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas oh, Donkey. Yeah. I love Nestor. Do you want to tell the listeners why you love it so much? Okay. So when I was a little girl, <laughs> I actually played Nestor, the part of Nestor, in the Christmas uh, a, a celebration, pageant, pageant, as it were, as it were, at, at my church. 
That's so cute. So I sang the yeah, song. Yeah, she walks Nestor around singing that song, and I'm like, what are you singing? Yeah. It's and it's Nestor the Long-Eared Christmas Donkey. Oh, that's it so is. cute. It is. And uh, I also love Twas the Night Before Christmas, that special. And I'm really surprised no one picked the song, Even a Miracle Needs a Hand. Mm, that's a pretty good one. Which is a fantastic song from that special. But there's plenty of others. Blarney go- Killikarney. Blarney Killikarney. Oh, that's a good one. The Leprechaun's Gold. I almost picked The Leprechaun's Gold. <laughs> I didn't even know about that till like three years ago. The other three tri- years ago. Was it it three? has to be at least a decade. <laughs> well, it felt like three yeah. years. <laughs> That's the episode. Right. Uh, Heather, thank you so much for being here. Of course. We appreciate thank you, you so coming much. in every year for Christmas. Right. We'd love to have you join us for a regular episode one day. Maybe yeah. Maroon 5. Or, Possibly. Or another Garth album would be good. Yeah, I would if love that. If you'd sign up and pay through <laughs> yeah, Patreon. Yeah, you could just... Uh, <laughs> Right. All right. Uh, I will do that right now. Okay, but if you're Sweet. out there and not related to me, there also is a true. way for you to co-host an episode with there us. There is. So our highest Patreon tier is called the Backstage Pass tier. It is $20 a month, which is a little steep. But in exchange for that, you get a very special personalized gift from both Matthew and I. Uh, you also get the chance to co-host an audio judo episode on the album of your choice. Uh, that benefit only activates once after one year of patronage at that tier. And it can only be activated once. I think I said that twice. (laughs) You also get all of the benefits of the lower tier, uh, which is our $5 a month front row seats tier. So if you do want to support the podcast and get a little extra, uh, that's a good way to go. Uh, That tier includes two-day early access to all the episodes, a shout-out on future episodes as a loyal producer, some bonus mini-episodes that we call Judo Chops, and some occasional bonus content that got cut out of uh, various episodes and things because either we were running a little long, or we got a little too drunk, or we both had gas. You know, whatever. Whatever. We we cut them out for various different reasons. Uh, If you have a favorite Rankin and Bass Christmas episode uh, or a Christmas song, we want to hear about it. Matthew, how do they do that? You can uh, get a hold of us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash audio judo or at on Twitter at audio judo or on Instagram at audio underscore judo or you can send us an email at info at audio judo.com and just as a reminder that is also the same address you would send us any submissions for musical dna yes it is uh don't forget tune in in a couple weeks to hear our end of year episode which always is framed as our top 10 albums of the year Uh, we have episodes coming up about rush nirvana tori amos so tune in and we will talk to you in a couple weeks until then Bye-bye, everyone. Take care. Happy holidays. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money... Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who kill their parents. 
the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.